There's a drive in Kelly for like serious self-worth. Get curious about sex. I'm not only going to woo my partner, but I'm going to woo myself. And then meditate. I'm like, oh my God, I'm a monk. You're not always in control. And it was like pride, not have periods, not have emotions. I'm going to need to feel everything. I found in those shattered pieces my truth. We're just piling more shame and judgment on top of the original problem. You're sick. Your body's revolting against you. Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus. These are things that can be simmering on you that you don't know. And they're the trigger for your problem. Making the connection between your mind and your body, your emotional needs. That is how we heal. You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. One of the greatest interviews I have ever had the pleasure of doing was with my functional medicine, Dr. Lekos. And that also just so happens to be one of your favorite episodes. So guess what? He is back. By popular demand, Dr. Lekos, the man who literally saved my life, literally, is with me today. And I am so excited to talk to him and share this with you because we have been on quite the journey together from the moment we met we really clicked and really just understood and saw each other and became really good friends. And in this journey of him saving me and showing me that there was so much more available to my body than the pain and agony and sickness that I had been living with for 14 years, he was the first person to really encourage me to get into the spiritual mind-body world from a doctor's perspective and sent me to a shaman and really encouraged plant medicine. And honestly, I really credit him with so many of the changes in my life, including quitting my job and advocating for myself and speaking up about sexual assault. I sat in Dr. Lekos's office for hours and hours and hours over about a year and a half time as we worked through everything and He really cared about what was happening in my environment and what my experience was like day to day. And as I shared some of the things that I was going through and and some of the pain I was experiencing and this fog and this, this feeling of just being in this dark cloud, we really worked through the mindset and emotional aspect of things. And he really was such an incredible support system for stepping into this work and owning my voice and launching the podcast and embracing every single part of me. And I truly believe that that is what led to my healing. The supplements, the diet, getting rid of SIBO and Epstein-Barr and chronic fatigue and really identifying what was going on in my body, my physical body was so important. And he is the master of that. But what I realized in working with him is that there's so much more that is just waiting to be discovered. And when we suppress it and when we don't acknowledge those parts of ourselves, that's when our body revolts against us and we get sick. It's a physical manifestation of an emotional trauma or experience. And that's what we talk about in today's show. We talked about his intentions coming into being a doctor in the beginning and what they are now and feeling and knowing and intuition and curiosity and the fact that he truly believes you can't fully heal without the emotional spiritual aspect. Food is not the final answer or the only answer. We talk about him losing his own self-care and taking care of others and how he's approaching that differently in 2020, what his morning routine looks like, always trying to do things differently and the way our bodies really listen to us. And we get into MDMA for PTSD therapy, psilocybin, visualizing yourself healthy and why everything starts with sleep and then the gut. This man, I can't say enough amazing things about him. You hear me talk about him regularly. I love him from the very bottom of my heart. He is such an incredible friend and guide and mentor and partner in this this walk that we are doing together in spirituality and really trying to support people from where we really believe they're meant to be supported. 
please go find Dr. Lekos at doctor underscore L-E-K-K-O-S on Instagram. And before we get into this, I have an amazing uh, freebie to give you guys that was inspired by Dr. Lekos, actually. It's all about functional medicine and how it saved my life and a lot of the things that I learned from him. So if you guys want that, shoot me a DM and I will let you know how you can get that from me for free. And don't forget that Connor and I have a new show called OK Babe. We're talking all things spirituality, sexuality, relationships. Uh, We got into my experiences uh, coming out and what his responses are to that. We talk about all of our favorite things in the bedroom and we get into lots of different emotions and anger and how to process. We have some really fun segments on the show and it's popping off over there. So make sure you guys head over there and listen to OK Babe. All right, let's get to this one with the incredible Dr. Lekos. So when you first got into medicine, what was your intention in this practice in this field? Well, let's see, back then it was always a passion, I guess, right? As a kid, wanting to help people. And and then, you know, when you finish school, you go to residency, it's exciting. You're doing what you wanted to do. And the intention is to, yes, help people, but then it's also a little bit of like, what's going to happen to my life now? That's, that's what happens. Like you get into it and you're like, well... Like I was telling you, I've said this many important other podcasts where when I went to the ER, the intention was to help people and it was great. I'm a doctor and it was exciting and you're living great and family. But then at that moment, in my third or fourth year out of residency, I was like, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing with myself. Mm-hmm. This does not feel right. Then the intention is lost and you feel lost and you feel like, what the hell? So I had to go search and look and kick tires and research and do things. And I found my way into the functional medicine world. And it's like, well, there you go. That was it. That's, this is why I'm here. My new, I have a new intention now. Mm. So now my intention now is to help as many people as I can, the best way that I can teach people with platforms like this and other things, talks. Cause you like, can only see so many people one-on-one, right? Right. Although you are Superman in my eyes, so I feel like you could just see everybody one on one. I wish I could. It's just, it's hard. So I try, you know, but I think as we evolve as people, intentions grow and change and evolve as well with us. Mm-hmm. And you get new ones, which is good. When you talk about helping people, I think that, I mean, you know that I, I hold you in the highest regard and I just think that you're the most incredible person. And I think that about you and I feel the way I feel about you because there's so many layers to you and the way you show up in service. And so when you talk about your intention being helping people, I think there's so much beneath that. And now that you've added the spiritual layer into this and the energetic connection that you feel with your patients and the way you see the mind-body connection and there's so many pieces of the puzzle you've put together because of that. What does it mean for you now to help people and support people versus the knowledge you had back when you first started? Well, wow. I mean, now it's, uh, it's really mind blowing, honestly, because to see, to see people change in front of your eyes and to see how they went from point A to point B when the usual system wasn't doing any good. And then you can go in there and do your thing, get them to see themselves differently, see their reality different, see their spirituality different, get them to meditate, get them to take a step back and get out of the game, get out of their head, stop running records and to see them apply what you tell them to do and to see them get all better is insane. It's the most rewarding thing ever really is. It just touches my heart. I can't, I can explain it. It's so cool. And then when you get teary eyed, you kill me. <laughs> Don't say it out loud. You're the only, I always tell everyone the first time I saw Dr. Lego, we were in his office for over two hours and he cried with me mm-hmm. and told me he was so proud of me. I'm like, I you did. guys don't understand. I did. He's the best doctor ever. So it's a different thing. Like I love my people and mm-hmm. I love really like to connect with them and mm-hmm. feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. Be in their shoes because you can't 
you can't help someone unless you are in them. You are understanding all of them, right? So I try to do that with everybody. Now that you're energetically connected and you have that kind of access, how does that change the way you treat your patients? Well, it's just opened my mind to a new approach or another angle to help them. Because I think that the energetic system is real, obviously. We are all energy when it comes down to it. And so what I'm learning more is that our, you know, our, our memories are stored in our brain, but now our emotions are stored in our body and our tissue. So I'm kind of learning how body dysfunction and illness is becoming more of an energetic, spiritual, mental component, and the body shows up last with the dysfunction. So more, I'll take care of the body. I'll do all the tests, the deep dive, and blah, blah, blah. And then we'll work on lifestyle stuff. But I also want to work on the number one and number two is the mental component of the person and the spiritual component. So the approach is more geared around those two things because we're learning that our thoughts have energy, our thoughts have power, our thoughts can create dysfunction in the body because now we're showing scientific proof that our thoughts are changing the quantum physics level. And biology is just quantum physics. So if you're changing the quantum, you're changing your biology. So your brain is your biggest enemy, but it's also the biggest gun against disease if you learn how to use it right. So it's teaching people how to navigate that and how to use their mind to help heal themselves. So do you believe that people can heal without getting into the spiritual, mental, emotional aspect of this? Yeah, they can, but not as fast, not as well. Maybe not at all. You know, it's like, that's a great question. And I think that there are some people, yeah, they can. But some people who are really, really struggling, really sick, I think they have big issues with those spiritual mental components. They, and you got to tackle those hard. But there are cases, but not as many. Mm-hmm. I think what, it seems important. What kind of pushback do you get from patients who want supplements and a diet and whatever regimen that a normal doctor would give when you maybe suggest spiritual work or emotional diving or asking what their stress levels are like i thought i'd get more but i don't interesting and i really don't and i'll tell every single person i don't care who they are to do that and is very they're very receptive to it actually i think when you're there with me you want to get better and you'll do whatever you need to do and it is like i'm sure people are like whoa i didn't expect that but that's interesting. That's going because we go deep in your mind and soul and we talk a lot about who you are and et cetera. But I think it creates a lot of, ah, oh, aha, uh-huh. well, maybe he's right. Let's try that. He's, oh, that resonated with me. So I'm down. Let's do this. Because it is mind, body, spirit. The body parts, the supplements and the diet and the sleep and the stress control, blah, blah, blah. And the mind and spirit part are, oh, they're two big pieces. And I explain that to you when you come in. Mm-hmm. So I really don't get pushback. That's amazing. No one ever says, I'm not doing that. I also feel like you're attracting those types of people. True. Especially now. We were joking before we started recording about how much in both of our lives has changed since we met a few years ago. And it's, I mean, it's remarkable to see how much we've both changed. But I think that you have immensely opened up to yourself, which has then created this space for people who are spiritually connected and willing to look at the hard stuff they are attracted to being around you and you are a facilitator and a bridge in a lot of ways to healing because you have the knowledge, the background and medicine, the resources that can be trusted, but you also have this empathic welcoming energy about you that I think you were able to tap into. And I know that's kind of scary, but I think that that's what you've opened up to yourself and then to patients to work with you. Yeah, that's, thank you for saying that. It's nice. I mean, um, it's true. I think what I do when I sit down with you is I'm not afraid to say what I'm about, and I'll stand up for it. Mm-hmm. But I also show you my vulnerability, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you stories about my life and how we can, you know, you can connect with me that way. Like, oh my God, this guy's spilling his beans about this, that, and the other. He's been through pain. He's felt this. He's felt that. So when you express vulnerability to people, people are very receptive to that. They will express it back to you and you create a connection with each other. That's one of the problems with people these days is that 
Um, we're all just vulnerable little beings and we have to show that to each other and we create more bonding with each other. So I'm not afraid of it. I'll just tell you straight up. I used to be, to be honest with you, I had this, it was gross. I was like putting on this little face and I was like, dude, you, you got to stop this. This is nuts. Just be you. When did you realize you didn't want to live like that anymore? Mm. I don't know. A couple of years ago, honestly. And it's just a great feeling when you can be you, do you, say you, wear you, act you, whatever you want to do with you, as you know, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so which we need to talk about. But I mean, it's, uh, that's why I tell my patients now, they always tell them that just how important it is for you to live from your heart and not from your brain and just to be you and don't care about anything else. I know it sounds kind of selfish in a way, mm -hmm. but look at it this way. If you don't take care of you, no one else is going to, and you're not going to be the best mother or father, brother, or sister, or husband, spouse, whatever, unless you do that. Mm -hmm. How, I mean, doctors and nurses struggle taking care of themselves because you, for your living, take care of other people. And it's often the thing that goes by the wayside is your own health, your own mental health, well-being. How have you balanced taking care of yourself in this huge expansion you've gone through, especially with the growth of your practice, because you're super famous now? Um, no thanks to me. Thank you, Gwyneth. Um, but well-deserved in every way. But how have you focused on your own growth and your own well-being while serving so many people? Yeah, definitely fell to the wayside for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I, it was an animal that got me, and I was literally drowning in it. Uh, night and day, night and day, night and day. And I decided January 1 of this year, no more. So I had to reschedule some things and push people out and try to do more. I don't know. I just had to reassess the whole situation because I was not doing what you said. I wasn't taking care of myself. So this year it's different and I feel way better, way better. You have to take care of yourself. You can't let the animal get you. What does taking care of yourself look like for you? Well, I, I think... It's important that you, you know, you got to eat right, sleep right, get some exercise in. You get, you need to have a morning routine, which I love. What's your morning routine? I think, I think, look, I think everyone needs to live every day as different as you can. Always do things different. Go to work a different route. Ooh. Play different music you're not listening to. Shave your face on the other side than you usually do. But in the morning, I think it's important to create a groundingness to yourself. So I will get up. Sometimes I'll do my infrared light. But every morning, I go out my patio, and I stand there, and I close my eyes, and I hold my palms to the sky, and I take 10 breaths. And I inhale, and I act like I'm pulling. I see energy pull up my legs from the earth, and I will pull energy down from the sun into the top of my head and into my hands. And as I exhale, I push the energy back up into the sky and back down into the earth. Inhale, pull it in, and it meets the, the energy meets in my, at my heart level. And I exhale and push it back up. This is a nice way everyone can start their day to ground, and you feel really good. Just think about, imagine just white light meeting in your body at your heart and going back out of your body, going back in, going back out. It's a great way to just calm yourself, ground, get ready for the day, breathe. Then I open my eyes and look out. And just take a second, and then I'm off I go. Hmm. I think it holds more weight because it's coming from you. And isn't it funny how, I mean, in society, it's like, oh, the doctor said this. I'm going to do whatever the doctor says. But you're not the typical doctor. Now you're implementing all of this mindfulness and the spirituality. I'm curious what your colleagues have said and what the response has been from people who have known you on this journey. It's been actually really good. I mean, I don't haven't gotten any flack. I mean, I just think I thought I would, but I didn't. Yeah, I remember we talked about that in your office. You're like, yeah. I don't know how much I'm going to share. I'm doing this <laughs> thing now. I'm seeing the shaman. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's been being really good. Um, I'm sure there's people out there like, what the heck? I used to be like that guy, but I mean, look, like I say, you have to do you. Mm -hmm. You just do, mm -hmm. and be proud of who you are and what you're doing. Believe in it, and you know. If you want to be quiet and sit in the corner and smile at everybody and not change anything on this planet, then go for it. But if you want to like shake things up, create a path, make people see things in a better way or a different way, 
you step out of the side of the box of normal societal things and you have to go for it. Mm. You might catch crap for here and there, but so what? Stand for it. Mm. If you believe in it, stand for it. Mm. It's okay. But yeah, it's been really good. That's amazing. I'm happy to hear that. I really am because I think it will have a bigger impact if people are open to the work that you're doing with the background that you have. Um, for people who haven't listened to the past episode that Dr. Lycos was on, please go back and listen to that because we go into our journey together in in-depth detail. Um, but a quick summary, I came to you not really knowing what was going on, having been misdiagnosed for 14 years with fibromyalgia and all of these kind of mystery symptoms and no idea what was happening. And you were very clear with me that you didn't believe that that was a proper diagnosis and that we were really going to get to the root of the problem, which we did. So we found severe Epstein-Barr and SIBO, leaky gut and chronic fatigue, and then MTHFR. And so those were really the things that you and I worked through over about a year and a half, which was so much faster than I ever thought it was going to mm -hmm. be. But what I realized in working with you, first of all, you were the first doctor to ever recommend that I see a shaman. So there was that, which I loved. And you were the first doctor who ever brought up plant medicine. And I think in working with you, you really catapulted my spiritual experience as well, because I realized that if there's this man who clearly knows what he's talking about and is helping my body heal and is now taking me to this next level there has to be something here. And it really, it feels like it gave me permission to deep dive into my own spiritual growth. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Good. But I want to know, we worked through the Epstein-Barr and, and SIBO and I did antibiotics and botanicals and um, we did the, the, you know, special diet and all the supplements to get all of the heat down in my body and the inflammation. And all of that was so important. And I truly believe in that. But what was it about, or what is it about you, you working with patients who have chronic illness that you then realize there is um, the suppression of authenticity of who we are, the, um, the in toxic environment that we are a part of, where you really take that, you have the protocol you use, and then you blast it open with this other aspect of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, look, I think what I'm, what I've, just my experience, I would can hands down tell you the people who are the most sick have the most past trauma, the most difficult upbringings, the most records playing in their mind, the most fear ridden worry about the future constantly not being present, don't know who they are. They've had the most stuff in their background. I, they're, they're always the sicker people. Mm. It's, I can hands down tell you that. So, yeah, I'll look at the body and I'll do my thing like you just mentioned, but I really want to go back and look at where did this come from? Mm -hmm. Because if you can get the person to start seeing themselves differently in a different way, understanding that, why I'm thinking the way I am is because of my childhood or how I was treated by my parents or would this, that, and the other happen to me, some trauma, emotional trauma, sexual trauma, whatever, and get them to say, hmm, that's not who I am. That's projection. That's what someone put on me. And I decided to think a certain way when I was six about myself, that I'm not good enough, not worthy, not lovable, and I'll let that run my whole life. So, um, like I said, your body listens to what you think. So you're thinking that all day long, you're releasing hormones in your body, cortisol, adrenaline that are damaging to you. Neurotransmitters get all messed up. Patterns of thinking get solidified that are negative. So because we know our thoughts have power, good and bad, if you're thinking bad all the time, you're going to feel it. You're going to get sick eventually. So we need to change that dynamic. Do you believe that the way I describe it and makes sense in my head is that, especially with chronic illness, that your body is revolting against you and trying to bring you back home? So many of us are taking care of others, doing things for other people. And a lot of women who get chronic illness are also moms, people pleasers. 
uh, type A personalities. I'm talking about myself. So <laughs> it's a it's a call to come home, to choose yourself, to take care of yourself. Is that what you see? For sure. Yeah. Look, everything in life is a lesson, mm-hmm. even illness. You're supposed to wake up. What is it you're supposed to learn from this? Mm-hmm. People get caught up in their illness. Oh, poor me. They get the pity party thing going. But you got to look at it where why am I experiencing this, good, bad, or illness? What am I supposed to learn from this? Like I've said before, the universe throws things at you to teach you some lessons in life. And if you don't listen, it's going to teach you throw something bigger in your path and bigger in your path and bigger in your path until you finally get it or don't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, look at what's happening to you as, whoa, what can I, what was, what do I need to change about the way I'm thinking or me or something? Try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That's what it's trying to tell you. It's likely what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. What do you believe that control is an illusion? You can control certain things in life, but most of it you can't. And I see that, oh my gosh, so much. Everybody's trying to control everything. Worry, worry, worry. Stuck in the future. Stop that. You have to just let life go. Surrender to the process. Being in a worry state of mind takes you out of the now. You're out of the present moment. You're missing the game. You're missing the show. You're stuck somewhere else in the future worrying about crap that you cannot do anything about anyway. (laughs) Forget it. You just can't stay there. So it's sad. You're missing why you're here, right? To experience and to to feel and to love and to cry and be da da da. So you controlling what you can and that's it. Forget the rest. Mm-hmm. Surrender to it. Yeah, I think that um something that came up a lot for me is the identity around being sick. And so when I started feeling better, I remember I woke up and I realized I hadn't felt bad in about a month. And I didn't even know it because I was so attached to my identity as being sick for 15 plus years of my life. And I think that that gave me a sense of control because I knew that, oh, I can't go do this thing because I don't feel good. I'm tired. I'm this person. I'm the girl who can't do things. And all of a sudden when that was taken from me, I felt like I lost a bit of control and didn't know who I was anymore. And I, I think that that happens a lot in this community is we get attached to the identity as the sick person. That's right. And without that, who are we? That's so true. And I'll call you out on that when you see me because I can tell when you're doing that. Mm. People sometimes like being sick. Yes. They like it. They It's their excuse to not do stuff, to get out of life. Oh, I can't do that. I'm depressed. Or I can't do that. I have this illness. I'm weak. Or I, I can't go to this thing. I can't. It gets them out of everything. It's like their uh, defense to everything. And you're right. Then you lose it. You're like, oh, <laughs> this is different. What do I do here? You're kind of, you got, like for you, you got kind of thrown back into life. And like, well, what do I do? Yeah. This is a whole new role. But the people in the office who I'll say, I think I'll feel like, you know what? I feel like I'm asking you something. Does this illness benefit you? And they sit there and some people say, yeah. And they, and they kind of get that aha. Like then we go into how they're creating the whole pattern da, 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 and it really opens up and then they get better. It's just nuts. It's all in the head. I didn't do anything. I just had them see a different way. Something I feel kind of guilty saying, I've never said this out loud, but I feel comfortable saying it with you. So A lot of people, a lot of doctors will give the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. And a lot of times there's, there are overarching or umbrella diagnoses from what I understand. You can correct me if I'm wrong because you're the expert here, but it's that, um, we're seeing a lot of symptoms. We don't really know what to do with it and it's in your head. So we're going to give you this diagnosis. And a lot of doctors I saw when I was first sick, they just told me it was in my head and I was making it up because nothing was showing up on blood tests or scans or anything, literally nothing would show up. And so now I feel like they're kind of right. It is in our head. Not to say that there aren't other things. Like I did have Epstein-Barr and SIBO and all these things, which were physical manifestations of an emotional traumatic Ah, issue. There you go. How, like, what, what do you do with that? Well, how would you explain that? The problem is that the Western medical world of it's in your head is like, I was there, man. I was in med school and residency. It's like, oh, she's off a rocker. Right. She's psych. You know, it's not the, the approach of like, oh, well, let's go look at her spirituality and her mental, her past trauma, da, da, da. It's like, oh, she's just crazy. Mm. Making all this up. Put her on some Prozac or something. Mm. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. 
the approach is she's cuckoo, here's a pill, versus let's dive into her soul and mental mental mind and let's see what we find there. So you believe that it is in your head, but there is a completely different approach. To different. It's different. That. You're right. not making it up. Right. Your body's just feeling things because of your emotional place that you're in, the mental place, the spiritual place. Mm. Your body's going to react to that. Mm. You feel things differently when you're in a bad space. Something that you taught me was about um, how in chronic illness, your body is, is like on fire. So there's a systemic inflammation and there's this fire and we got to get the fire down in order for everything to be treatable. And I think that once I wrap my head around that in, in cooling the body, it was a lot easier for everything else to work. So that also affects your nervous system. Um, and I felt like everything was on high alert all the time. How do you treat people when they're in that state? And why is that happening? So the inflammation state? Yeah, inflammation and, and mm -hmm. your, your nervous system is crazy. And you just, you feel like constant anxiety and fear and stress and you just can't bring it down. Yeah, I mean, like you, for example, you had so many reasons to be inflamed. I mean, inflammation is part of every single chronic disease we have out there on this planet. It's inflammation. Mm -hmm. So inflammation has a lot to do with many, many factors, but the keys are like diet, stress, sleep, toxin exposure, the gut being leaky. So we kind of look at the, all those parameters, chronic infections too, like you, Epstein-Barr. So we look at all these parameters and we have to tackle each and every one of them to see where we're at. And when you start cooling all those systems down, I just mentioned, you start to get better. Because they all stimulate the immune system in a different way or the inflammatory system in a different way. So you get a lot of investigational work, a lot of lifestyle changes, dietary changes, sleep changes. Yeah. So it's one at a time. Mm -hmm. You start with sleep. For sure. Sleep and gut. Why sleep? Sleep we're finding is uh, probably the most important thing in our health and our longevity. It's where we regenerate, we grow repair and if you don't sleep you can't do those things we're finding out that it's our deep sleep where we're starting to clean out all the debris in our brain and our nervous system there's a glymphatic system we call it which is like the lymphatic system on the body and this glymphatic system kind of cleans out debris and proteins that can build up and like beta amyloid that can lead to alzheimer's disease that happens when you're in deep sleep the state of deep sleep and if you don't enter that deep sleep state Ain't going to clean up much. Mm. It's kind of interesting. We're learning that sleeping on your side actually promotes glymphatic drainage versus on your back or stomach. It's kind of interesting. And REM sleep is looking like REM, which is the rapid eye movement sleep, is looking like that's probably more important regarding longevity than the deep. You need both, but the REM is more for longevity. There's a study they did with rats where they had they sleep deprived these rats and they died in nine to eleven days. Then they sleep deprived them with just the REM state. They let them sleep, but when they entered REM, they would wake them up and deprive them of REM, and they also died in nine to eleven days as if they didn't get any sleep. But then they sleep deprived them and took away the deep sleep. They didn't die. They lived longer, twice as long. So it's important to get REM sleep and deep sleep. You know, when you don't sleep, your cortisol's up, your hormones get off, your hunger hormones go up, you don't lose weight. No noticing people getting more anxiety and depression and memory problems is massive. Cardiovascular disease, diabetes risk goes up, obesity goes up. Uh, it's wrecking the body. It really is. And we're, we're so, no one's sleeping, man. I see that so much because the world is so crazy. We're so stressed and there's so much going on. Electronics, blue light, or staying up, or doing all these things we shouldn't be doing at late at night. You have to let your body decompress and chill and relax. You know, you have to unwind yourself. So, uh, sleep is for sure number one. If you fix that, a lot of other stuff starts to get better. Oh my God, I'm memory, my memory's better. I'm less anxious. I'm less depressed. I'm more in a better mood. Dropping some pounds, more energy. So you see, you fix that one and you have this like spread out effect. Yeah. I remember that. I mean, that's how you treated me and my whole world changed after I started mm -hmm. sleeping. See? I was like, oh, now I can handle all the other stuff. That's right. Yeah. So then when you go to the gut, 
uh, and the inflammation there and leaky gut and poor digestion. And oftentimes, you know, we did a stool sample and saw that there was such an imbalance in bacteria. What is the the most important thing for you when it comes to the gut? It's going to be, I want to make sure that a few things, you're digesting well, that way you can absorb and assimilate all your nutrients that you're eating out of all the amazing food you're eating. And then the second thing I look at is um, making sure we heal any kind of leaky gut issues because the leaky gut means there's holes in the gut and stuff's getting through that into the bloodstream, be it foods, toxins, pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, food coloring, mold, you name it, getting into the bloodstream, firing up your immune system. Because your immune system sees these things as like, whoa, that's not supposed to be here. And antibodies are created left and right. And the immune system gets on overdrive, so much overdrive for so long that it starts to get confused and starts attacking you. And then you got an autoimmune disease mm-hmm. or an autoimmune spectrum. So that's super important to find out how leaky are you. Let's do some food sensitivity testing. Let's get you on some products to heal leaky gut and maintain that. Then make sure the gut bacteria is balanced. Make sure there's no candida or parasites in you because that's the number two thing is the gut. And lots of things stem from the gut. So digestion, making sure you don't have leaky gut, get your gut bacteria in good balance, make sure there's no infections and you're good. Um, you and I have talked about birth control quite a bit um, mm-hmm. and your beliefs on it and how it's affecting people when it comes to systemic inflammation. I had been on birth control basically 15 to 27, um, on pill. And then I got an IUD and I had been working with you and lots of my symptoms were gone. And then I got the IUD and immediately my symptoms came back and I felt awful. And I had it in for four months, got it out the next day. Almost everything was gone. Crazy. What is going on with birth control? So, I urge my female patients to not be on the birth control pill. I don't like a synthetic estrogen. It just wreaks havoc on the system. We're seeing it cause lots of, like you said, SIBO, gut dysfunction, causes more depression, some anxiety also. We see women lose their libido because their their free testosterone gets bound up and it lowers down. Um, it increases your risk of breast cancer and uterine cancer. It thickens the blood, risking your you having a stroke or a clot in your leg, which can be fatal if it goes to your lung, called pulmonary embolism. And, you know, if you can just not go that way and just get rid of that whole pill issue, a lot of things are going to be in your favor. Mm-hmm. So I do tend to try to get women to use an IUD if possible. Now, you're right. Some women can get a foreign object in them. And it can stimulate a massive immune response. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like it like you were. So if that happens, we'll kind of know. We'll know, okay, can't do that. Yeah. But usually IUDs are better. I think it's a better option because mm-hmm. I get it. Women don't want to have kids and if it's not the right time. Yeah. So, you know, there's the copper IUD. There's the hormone-coated ones like Marina and Skyla. So they work different. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Marina and Skyla hormone-coated release a little progestins is like a it's like a progesterone almost like the amount that you would release in your cycle very locally into the uterus and sometimes that hormone will create a, a lack of ovulation so you won't get pregnant and it also works by thickening the mucus and, around the cervix so sperm can't really get through there and if they do it creates an, an environment in the uterus is not healthy it's just too much mucusy stuff around the uterus and so the an egg would not implant when it survive mm-hmm. The copper is different. The copper uh, works by there's a copper, a piece like a little coil of copper on the bottom part of the IUD. Copper is like a sperm, a, uh, kills sperm. Mm-hmm. It's a spermaticide. So it also uh, creates this this liquid that comes from the uterus and flopping tubes. It's got white blood cells and prostaglandins and copper copper ions. And that's also not, con- it's very spermicidal. It kills them all. Mm-hmm. That's how they work. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's safe. You know, the, the bad thing about copper, some women tend to have a lot of heavier periods, right. which isn't fun because the copper, the, the copper increases the vascularity to the uh, uterus. So you have heavier flow, which isn't great. Mm-hmm. So but not, not everybody has that problem with the heavy flow. I don't know. It's, but that's my favorite. So if, if you are someone who has chronic illness and you have inflammation and you are having a lot of issues, you would recommend that they not be on birth control. 
Right. Until yeah. we can get you cooled off and right. figure it out. Then let's try it again later and see what happens. But mm -hmm. look, we got to find all the triggers and get rid of them, mm -hmm. whether it's a foreign object, take it out. Mm -hmm. And like breast implants are another big, big one. Oh my gosh. So many people are getting explant surgery. Oh yeah. It's wild. Breast implant illness. Well, and I've seen so many pictures of the implants when they're taken out. It is so gross. Like yes. all the shit that grows on them yes. and they're like green and pussy. And you're like, oh my God, mm -hmm. why are we putting this in our body? Right. I know. So look, if, if you have them and you have this type of autoimmune picture, it's worth considering, do I really need these things? Mm -hmm. Could I live without them? I have small tits. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Damn it. Connor loves them. Yeah, no, I know. It's sad that we do this to people. It's all for vanity. And, and so, you know, look, some women are like, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking them out. Okay, well, let's, let's do the thing. Let's see if we can get you better. And if we do, amazing. But if we don't, we're going to have a serious talk about taking them out because mm -hmm. it's not worth it. I, I talk a lot about recently about how we are always looking for our guru. Like, I will find the guru and they shall heal me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were kind of my guru for a hot minute. Uh, but you also empowered me to be my own healer. That's right. So how do you empower your patients to be their own healers and not come to you to fix them, but you are their support system in their own experience. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, uh, that's like I said earlier, it's about teaching you how to think differently. And mm -hmm. I teach them a really cool meditation when you come in about how to visualize yourself healthy, see what that feels like to you mm -hmm. and see yourself. You got to see yourself in meditation in the most perfect health you could ever be in. See the end game, the product of what you want to be mm -hmm. and how that really feels, how amazing you feel. And see, and, and I walk you through this whole process of how to do it, which takes too long, but um, that's really cool because you're going to see in your mind and you're going to feel in your heart what that feels like. And that's what I'm talking about. You can use your brain to create goodness and health. And if you see it and feel it, your body will respond mm. and start to get you better. There's many facets to healing your, your being your own guru, you know, but we talk a lot about that exploring mental healing, exploring emotional healing, you know, and, and we'll talk about different ways to do that, whether it's hypnosis or plant medicine or, or, or therapy, EMDR, you name it. We'll, we'll kick every tire we need to. Mm -hmm. So you're, I mentioned this earlier, you're the first doctor who ever talked to me about plant medicine. And at that time I had never dabbled in any of it. And now I've done a bunch of ayahuasca ceremonies. I use psilocybin regularly. It's been incredibly healing for me. What are you seeing? I've also uh, done MDMA as well, which I know there's so many trials out there and so mm -hmm. many things happening with MDMA for healing. But what are you seeing with psychedelics and plant medicine and the impacts it can have for so many different illnesses? It's, it's booming. I'll tell you that. Like we know a few weeks ago, the FDA approved MDMA for expanded therapy for PTSD. Mm. So that what they're saying is if you tried XYZ, then MDMA is an option, which is powerful that they did that. Yeah. And back in October, the FDA approved uh, psilocybin for breakthrough therapy. What that means is that they're going to like fast track the psilocybin research and, and uh, trying to push that through to make it mainstream into normal healing because the research is fantastic. It's amazing. So they see the benefits of these plants and the chemicals that can really heal people fast and avoid all these drugs that cause side effects. And um, I think that they are going to be the next, you know, CBD marijuana movement where it's going to become more legal. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think it's Oregon. Yeah, Oregon has it on their ballot in 2020 to vote for legal psilocybin journeys with a practitioner. So amazing. Yeah, it's you get 30 years of therapy in four hours. Mm -hmm. It's phenomenal. What have mushrooms done for you? Well, I mean, I was microdosing them way back, and um, it was really cool because you get more in tune with yourself. You get more in tune with your creativity, and you're, you feel happier. You just feel more, I don't know, content in a way. And it was nice to, to feel that way, really. It was a good experiment, 
and uh, nothing bad happened. Mm-hmm. It's kind of subperceptual. You don't really know what's going on, but you can kind of subtly feel changes in how you see the world. So, you know, the research with psilocybin, with anxiety and depression, end-of-life care is is amazing. It's amazing. People, even like I'm using it for like socially, uh, what do you call it, autistic adults who have social fear. And it's mm-hmm. really helping them a lot too. Do you, is it the connectedness piece, do you think? Well, they think it works by letting parts of the brain talk to other parts of the brain that don't usually talk to each other. And also, they compare it like shaking the snow globe, like you're shaking up your brain, letting the snow resettle in a different pattern. Oh. So you kind of break the ruts that you're in. You're re, it's like rebooting your computer mm-hmm. and all that stuff goes away, all the anxiety, depression, you know, PTSD. So that's how they think it works. It turns off the brain default mode, which is a network in the brain that's you. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like, we thought that was going to light up, but it actually didn't. It got quiet and other parts of the brain started talking to each other. So it's, um, it's fantastic. It's just amazing. I can't say enough about it. It's Do you good. have any fear around big pharma ruining this? I'm sure they don't like it, but you can't stop what's happening from happening. My fear is that they're going to, Fucking, they're scheming already to somehow take all of the the psychedelics and the plant medicine, synthetically produce things to then sell at really high amounts. I don't know. I mean, you know more about it than I do, but that's it's like it it muddies the integrity of the work and the plants. Yeah, I don't know if they can trademark or patent like kind of like a plant like that. I don't mm-hmm. think it's possible. But look, let them go make their money on other things like statins and crap like that. Right. I don't know. We'll see. Working with plants and seeing medicine from a different way, how does how has it changed your view of Western medicine and drugs overall? Well, yeah, they're, they're awful. They just cover up what's really going on. Mm-hmm. They're just Band-Aids for symptoms. They're not treating anything. I've always advocated that, and it, it kind of pisses me off. Mm-hmm. It's just a money-making machine. So I've had some, you know, like I got a text from a patient yesterday. She did plant medicine a year ago to that day yesterday. She was having five panic attacks a day, full on, hyperventilating, shaking like a leaf, crying. And she did plant medicine. She's like, this is my year anniversary. Still panic attack free. Wow. Never had another one. Never again. Because she saw why in her journey her reason why was because she said i was doing them on purpose but i didn't realize that i was doing them on purpose i was doing them on purpose because it was my excuse to get out of life it was my excuse to get out of the game to get away from my stress get away from my reality i didn't want to face and i was having panic attacks on purpose and i've never had one since wow wild well, and isn't that the thing? We're so we're also scared to see our truth and to call ourselves on our own bullshit and the stories we've created, and that's why we keep doing the same shit over and over again. It's, the, it's like, like I said, robots. it's the ruts that yeah. are in your mind. There's just like these patterns, and that's what doing this stuff does. It shakes all that up, and it's resetting it all, so you come out of it different. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I want to talk about this, but in a roundabout way, because I think this is really important. So, like, for me, when I channel, I hear direct communication into my right ear. And it's, it's like a, it's a separate entity from myself. So, it's like, Kelly, this, do that. Right. So, in third person. So, for you, when you feel connected to spirit, to the universe, your own intuition, your higher self, what does that sound like or feel like for you? It's, for me, it's a feeling. Like, I really trust my intuition. It's a feeling or a knowing. You know, sometimes um, it's that gut thing we all have. We all have this in, our, in our, 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 our power, our ability to tap into. We just don't all do it. We underestimate ourselves in our ability to connect to other people, to connect to the other side. It's just quieting yourself, and it's, it's for me. It's a knowing. Some people have a they hear it, or they see it, or they have both. 
but I just kind of have a knowing. I don't know. I can't explain it. When you first sensed that, what was going on? Do you remember? I don't remember what was going on, but I mean, I've always had a very strong gut feeling about things and I used to ignore it like, nah, yeah, do the logical thing or whatever. But then you start learning to trust how you feel mm-hmm. and it's always right. Mm-hmm. You always got to trust how you feel. How, you know, everyone does. It's not wrong. How do you decipher between your intuition and that knowing and your ego? Well, I mean, I've practiced enough where I can kind of figure out which is which. Sometimes it's difficult because you have to separate yourself from something sometimes, especially if it's personal or emotional because mm-hmm. there's a stake in it. So it's, it's harder. Mm-hmm. But um, it just takes practice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to, I think all of this obviously affects relationships, whether it's uh, with your kids, with your friends, with your patients, there is a different sense of self, which allows you to show up differently. How do you feel you show up in relationships with your kids, with friends, with this, this inner knowing and this connectedness to who you are? It's definitely helps you grow and it definitely helps you see what's important in your world. Um, I feel really connected to all my patients because we, we, we share, we go deep. It's like, you know, you've been there. It's like, you're talking to a friend and you know, in your relationships outside of that, it is also good. Of course, you know, you're growing, but relationships are complicated and you know, yeah, I'm a doctor and all, but I'm still human and I still have crap happen to me when I was younger and things like that, that get in the way. So it's exploring those things and trying to figure out, hmm, let me think about this differently. It's almost like I'm the patient with myself and trying yeah. to like navigate what I've gone through, been through, why am I this way? Why do I have this fear? Pushing through it, exploring it, learning from it, growing from it. And so it is, look, we're people, we're going to keep growing like this our whole life till you leave this place. So I'm trying to soak in everything I can while I'm here. Really, really try to grow and learn, experience everything I can while I'm here. When you get to an edge or a boundary where you're, you're starting to get uncomfortable and you're like, oh, do I want, want to see this? Do I really want to go there? What allows you to push through that and be willing to see something that could be very difficult? Because I know if I do it, it might hurt, but I'm going to end up better at the end of the day. You will. You're going to learn from that. That's why I like to tell my patients to read the book, The Untethered Soul. Oh, God, how good Singer. is that? Yeah, it teaches you kind of, yeah, how you do, teaches you how to do that, how to sit with your feelings which I've been doing a lot more the past year. And, and um, that uncomfortableness becomes so much less uncomfortable the next time around. You learn how to just sit with it. Yes. Let it move through you. Don't analyze it. Don't judge it. Just be whatever. I'm lonely. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm dep- I feel abandoned. Whatever. And just be with it. And feel it. So... I've been doing that more and more myself, practicing it. It's really cool. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, something I've been talking about lately is we get really comfortable in the boxes that we've created for ourselves and that society has created. And so that's where we feel safe. Even if it's not actually safe, we feel safe. And then we take a step out. And on the other side of that box is all the joy and pleasure and happiness and everything you've ever wanted with some of the hard stuff. But inside the box, none of that stuff is there. It's just like the darkness and the fear and the pain. But we're so scared to get outside of our comfort zone and take that leap of faith that we sometimes never get access to the true pleasure of our lives. True. Have you found that with each leap of faith and each step, you've had a little closer connection to those things you long for for so long? Yeah, exactly. You said it perfectly. You have to push your boundaries. And I tell my patients that too. Like I say, look... Do something every single day that makes you uncomfortable. Even if it's something small, small, tiny things, like push that box around you a little bit further out. Make your box a little bit bigger. Go outside of that. 
So you can, what happens is you start to experience more life. You start, start to do things and realize, well, hell, that wasn't hard. That was fine. That was fun, actually. So true. That was actually amazing. It was kind of scary when I did it, but I did it and it was cool. And most of the time it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't work out, whatever. Most of the time it does. And you're going to have some hiccups, but you end up growing as a human, experiencing more things. Your, your, your boundaries go away. You become this huge person, not afraid to do things anymore. So it just takes a little bit of pushing. Take baby steps when you get into this at first. Just little things. Like talk to someone in an elevator or compliment someone. Do something. Little things that you kind of wouldn't usually do or wouldn't usually say. Wouldn't usually hug that person, but I'm going to. Yeah, and taking up space and living in a gray area. For me, I've always lived in the black and white, and it's very aggressively one way or the Mm -hmm. other, and I don't know any fluidity whatsoever. And I think for me in, in my sexual awakening, if you'd like to call it that, and understanding my attraction to women and living more in a gray area, not having it look one way or the other, but being open to experience has allowed me to expand and be curious and has supported my healing in that. Because if I am not in the box and I'm just on this like fluid spectrum of experience, I'm not tied to one thing. I'm not attached to an outcome. I'm not attached to an identity. And I think that's where the real healing comes is I've done all this work around healing my body and not having chronic illness. And I felt good for a couple of years now. And it's so remarkable. And now I have the space to do the work around the openness to experience and what is available to me. Nice. Yeah. Do you think that your, your bisexuality was something you were born with or do you feel like it developed into something that, like, have you always felt this way? Well, I don't know yet. As you know, this is still relatively new. I think that part of me always knew. I always had tough relationships with women. I was bullied a lot growing up and even in my career and never felt accepted or seen by women. And the way I was triggered was so aggressive that I think there was always something there. Like I, in my episode, when I came out, I talked about how I would have relationships with women, platonic as friends. And as soon as I felt like they weren't choosing me or I wasn't really important to them, I would completely cut the relationship off. And I think that was, um, that didn't really fit the experience. And I think that it's because I was attracted to them more than platonic. Right. And I felt like they weren't choosing me back. Right. That's That's probably true. Right? Right. It's probably true. So I don't know if I, I mean, like, was I born like this? Have I always felt like this? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, it's just, I think I've always found that a little bit fascinating, the yeah. lesbian, gay, bisexual um, feelings that people have. Is it genetic or not? What do you think? Well, you know, the I tend to think we're more born that way. Mm-hmm. I think there's some cases where they're not and they become. But if you look at the research and the science, it does seem to be something DNA-ish going on. Mm-hmm. We don't think there's like... Uh, homosexual gene per se. Maybe there's multiple genes at work there. But there's something genetic going on a little bit because if you look at uh, lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, they tend to have that in their family. They tend to have that uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters who are that way too versus people who are straight. And when women have boys, the more boys they have, the, the younger the boy so let's say a woman has two, three, four, five boys. The fifth boy has a higher chance of becoming homosexual or bisexual. We're not sure why, what it has to do with something with testosterone maybe. So, uh, for example, they think that when women who are pregnant with a female fetus who have higher testosterone levels, those girls who are born have a, a possible higher propensity to become lesbian or bisexual. And then boy fetuses, when mom's testosterone is low, have a higher propensity to maybe be gay or bisexual. So, and then the biggest thing of all is the study on twins. So twins have the exact same DNA and the exact same genetics, right? Mm -hmm. So twins is interesting because 
when one, one twin could be gay, but the other twin isn't. So it's like they got the same genes. So clearly there's something else going on that we don't understand. But there are some genetic DNA looking things happening, but we don't know mm. all the way. Yeah, and it's interesting too because I think uh, the somatic therapists we work with, we talk a lot uh, with them about this spectrum for women of attraction to other women. And our therapists believe that all women are on are are some percentage bisexual. There is an attraction to women, and there is an acknowledgement of the female form, female sexuality, and that energy that men don't necessarily experience. That's so true. Yeah, you think that too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I really do. Why yeah. is that? I don't know. It's like, it's so, I guess it's, I've always thought of it like, it's like the women are just so much more loving and nurturing people as, as a collective mm -hmm. than guys are. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's so true. Well, and I mean, I've talked about this, but the, for me, the acknowledgement of another woman is just me acknowledging myself. I think women are perfect mirrors for each other. And so when it comes to sexuality and that intimate experience, it's so different than being with a man because you, you are, you're feeling into yourself hmm. in a way. You have a lot of the same body parts. You may not look exactly the same, but your life experience probably looks a lot alike and your energy is probably very similar. And so there's this almost like a loop of energy between women that just keeps going and that feminine touch and that nurturing, like you said, for me to be held by a woman, a man can't do that because there is just something about the female touch and body that allows for that so true uh, it's something about the woman nature that the power the energy mm -hmm. the mothering feeling like you go to your mom when you're hurt mm -hmm. it's so different than going to your dad it's not the same and it feels so healing oh absolutely whereas i feel i mean i feel like a lot of my interactions with connor are incredibly healing but there's something and maybe it's just my own wounding where i need more feminine healing um but yeah, it's been it's been very interesting for me to sort of dive into this and experience that. It's good. I think it's great. Thanks. I think it's really good. It's, it takes guts to admit it, and you know you're living in a place of no fear, and you need. I think it's inspiring because people are going to see that you did that, and they can do that too. And like I said in the beginning of this, you have to be you, do you, say you, wear you, just be who you are. That's all you got to do. No matter what. Thank you for saying that. Sure. I think part of it too is um, one, being curious, and two, just genuinely showing up as yourself. And I think that there is a direct correlation between sexual suppression and chronic illness. That could be a piece of the puzzle. I could see that. It just yes. seems that like I said earlier, with your body revolting against mm -hmm. you and asking you to come back to yourself, when you're sexually suppressed, you're disconnected from that womb space mm -hmm. and your body. And so your body is going to ask you to come back and open up to pleasure. And if you're not experiencing pleasure in your life, I think you're more susceptible to a chronic illness. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine the battle people play in their minds when right. they can't be who they are? especially when it comes to sexual desires and urges and it's a natural human tendency and feeling mm -hmm. and you have to like not be able to access that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. It's not a good way to be. Mm -hmm. So I think I agree with you. It could be a big piece of why you could get sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you about is this can be a very lonely road of being awake and aware and connected and choosing to go a different path than what you went on before and following what the universe is providing for you and listening to your intuition. Have there been any moments where you've really questioned what you're doing? I think in the beginning a little bit, when you first start branching out, like you just first branched out into this whole new part of you, it feels kind of wacky and yeah. oh, so yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was for sure in the beginning. Like when you first start to tread water into this deep ocean, what's going to happen. But 
now that you know I've done it and I'm not afraid of it, I'll do it again. And you're gonna feel the same way soon. Like I did it. That's fine. I made it. So no, you're good. Yeah, I think it's um I think it's so important for people to know that it can be uncomfortable and scary and that that's normal mm-hmm. and that it's okay to clear the path for yourself to do something different and to choose yourself even if there's a lot of noise and chaos around you to continue to honor what's right for you. 100%. Man, that's great. Mm-hmm. Honor what's right for you. Live from your heart. Don't be around toxic people who don't feed who don't feed your goals and loves and desires. Live true, live free, and you can't go wrong. That's so good. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You're the best. Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.